Welcome. Welcome to Healthy You. What is that? A podcast from Raytheon Technologies that can help employees live their best lives. It helps me get in the zone. It, it helped me to change my mindset. Oh, I love it. It's me ready for my day. Now, listen in and learn how you can be a healthy you. Hi, and welcome to the Healthy You Podcast. I'm JT, along with my co-host DJ, and this is the podcast made especially for RTX employees that focuses on helping them to improve their minds, bodies, and wallets. This is the final episode of our three-episode Healthy Mind series. That's right. The first episode was an introduction to therapy, and the second episode focused on resilience, and if you haven't checked those out, you definitely should. All right, and today we're going to finish off the series with an episode all about teens and adolescents. This is a critical topic, especially during this time. Kids across the country are dealing with huge amounts of change and stress. That's right. Many of them are having to do school from home. Um, we're all dealing with some level of social distancing. And there's also just so much general stress and anxiety permeating the world right now. And all of that is really tough on kids. And beyond our current situation, so many kids deal generally with emotional issues, large and small. So we wanted to dedicate this episode to helping you think about your children's healthy mind and hopefully giving you some guidance on how to get them any help they might need. And to do that, we're bringing back our friend and professional therapist, Lane Ingram. Hey, Lane. Hey, thanks for having me back. Pleasure to be here, especially for such an important topic like this. Yeah, so Lane, let's let's start big here. How big of an issue is this? How common is it for teens and adolescents to deal with these types of concerns? About one in five children and teenagers could have a psychological disorder mm. at any given time. So mm. it really is quite common. Uh, and when we talk about that, we really mean a lot of different types of disorders. Yeah. So what are the most common conditions we would expect to see in teens or adolescents? There are a lot of different categories. The most common uh, for teenagers and children are anxiety disorders and mood disorders like depression. And just a refresher uh, from the last time I was on, I think kind of a helpful way of distinguishing between what falls under the category of anxiety and what falls under the category of depression would be this. When I think anxiety, uh, under that category, I think of uh, feelings like worried, nervous, overwhelmed, stressed, panic. When we're talking anxiety, we're essentially talking fear, usually. And then with depression, uh, we're usually talking feelings like sad, but also emptiness, numbness, uh, what, what some would would uh, describe as kind of a void of emotions, which is why uh, a lot of people uh, say emptiness or void more than actual sadness. Okay, so let's talk about anxiety disorders. What are some examples of what that might look like? Sure. So a very common one would be separation anxiety disorder. Now, this would be an extreme fear regarding being separated from mm -hmm. one's caregiver. So this would be, uh, you know, commonly seen in uh, children, but can also be seen in teenagers. But this would be just a real aversion to being separated from mom and or okay. dad. This can result in not wanting to 
to sleep away from home, uh, really not wanting to leave the home to go to school or other places. And it can happen, like I said, in adolescence or even in that transition from childhood to adolescence. Okay. Uh, what else? Another common uh, example of anxiety in kids would be generalized anxiety disorder or GAD GAD. Uh, this would be an anxiety around a variety of different things. Sometimes uh, it can mean even anxiety without even a specific trigger for the anxiety, just kind of a general feeling of fear and worry. It could be uh, anxiety over perfectionistic thoughts, uh, worries about aches and pains, and if it it means something serious or worry about little things between their friends. There are often concerns about schoolwork as well. Uh, this is usually excessive worry and persistent worry across a lot of different things that can even lead to muscle tension and just kind of general apprehension and as well as problems with sleeping. So you brought up worrying about a little things between friends is, is, that category is a sort of like social anxiety? Yeah, social anxiety, that is another really common form of anxiety. This is going to be feelings of uh, fear of judgment, maybe fear of criticism from their, mm -hmm. their friends, their fellow students, maybe even their teachers. But it can even manifest itself around making decisions, uh, asserting preferences, asking for help. Uh, or just general excessive discomfort uh, in being observed and possibly judged negatively by others. Yeah, now, Lane, a lot of these behaviors sound on some level like what could be common, you know, kid behavior. So, how do I know if my kid is just you know, being a kid or if there's a bigger issue that I should be concerned about? I always say what you want to look for is are these symptoms preventing my child from doing the things that they want to be doing or the things that they should be doing. And if not, then maybe there isn't a problem. However, if you're noticing that your child seems unhappy, like they're being bothered to the extent that it's preventing them from, let's say, doing well in school, attending their normal extracurricular activities, or preventing them from hanging around their normal friend group. And maybe, maybe you're noticing even that they're isolating themselves. These would all be things where you might kind of take note of and say, oh, this might be something I, I want to uh, help out with if I can. Okay, so if I'm seeing some of these changes you're talking about and, you know, or maybe my child's teacher is raising some concerns that, you know, these behaviors are getting in the way of, like you said, them enjoying the things that they normally enjoy. How do I know when it's gotten to the point where I should reach out for help? When do I take that next step? first thing you should do is talk to your child. And I know that seems like common sense, but especially with a teenager, they may want a lot of privacy or they don't always invite you as the parent into their world. So I could understand where you might be hesitant to do that. Uh, but really, if you, if you can try to have a real conversation with mm -hmm. them, uh, you know, try to be transparent and open. Hey, there's a lot going on for me right now at work or uh, mm -hmm. this world right now is a little stressful or a lot stressful. So what's up? What's going on with you? How are you? Uh, you know, try to make it, if at all possible, something that isn't punitive. You know, you're not trying to punish them. You're just trying to create a safe, su supportive space where they, uh, they know it's okay for them to come to you if they're having some problems right now. So that, that brings up, what if you have these conversations 
um, or you're not able to, and it's completely shut down, and you, you start seeing some red flags that there may be a larger issue. What what's the next steps? What do we do then? Sure, sure. I in that's in that case, uh, I would recommend you know organize and write down your observations. Maybe jot mm-hmm. down things that you're noticing, uh, things that your child is sharing with you or not sharing with you. Maybe check mm-hmm. in with their uh, teachers and uh, find out what is the school noticing. Uh, so keep track of these changes over time, and then you could perhaps. Go to your pediatrician or your primary care physician. That can be helpful. And these are uh, trained medical professionals who know you and know your child. And so they could maybe help to uh, allay some of your worries and point you in the right direction. Um, I'm I'm assuming another big question you get a lot is, how do I go about finding help? I've decided that I need it. So how do I go and find it for my child? Absolutely. There are a lot of resources out there that can help you when you're ready to uh, explore your child's issues and really start thinking about treatment options. Some great places to start would be uh, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, uh, childmind.org. You can find information about disorders and information about how to find providers. And then there's also the Association of Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies. Uh, And there you can find info on evidence-based treatment. And then another great resource is psychologytoday.com. It's a great uh, sort of an online directory, almost like the yellow pages for therapists. And there you can enter in your zip code. You can enter in what kind of insurance you have. And uh, there are just these very easy to use search features where you can click on, okay, I want to see therapists uh, in my area who specialize in working with uh, children or adolescents and who uh, work with anxiety or depression uh, and are in network with my insurance. So great place to start. Oh, those are all great. And of course, as an RTX employee, there are a few different ways you can also find a therapist. Um, Always check with your health plan to find an in-network therapist. And if you're a Heritage UTC employee, you can also speak to a therapist through Doctor On Demand or talk to a counselor through Beacon Health Options. And Heritage RTN employees can find a therapist through ComPsych. And so, Lane, we talked a lot in our first episode with you about a therapy a lot of that podcast was centered around finding the right therapist and what that process might look like. Is it different if we're talking about therapy for a child? You know, a lot of it is the same, but some of it is very different. So instead of just you being the consumer, this is you and your child are both the consumer here. So mm-hmm. uh, you can ask questions uh, of your provider before you meet them. For instance, you might want to ask them, hey, do you see a, a lot of children or teenagers in your practice? Uh, what kind of therapy do you do? What would an evaluation look like? Mm-hmm. And uh, and you can do research on providers. You know, thanks to the internet, uh, that has really kind of revolutionized revolutionize the way people can uh, find a therapist and make sure that they're finding one who who might be a good fit. Um, so you can ask what kind of treatment they do. Uh, I would recommend, you know, evidence-based treatment is key. So things like cognitive behavioral therapy uh, or dialectical behavioral therapy is good. Mm-hmm. And you can also ask how would they plan to measure 
progress. Maybe uh, the uh, provider could help establish uh, guideposts along the way, like, hey, here's where we're starting, here's where we're going, and here are the little uh, markers where we might measure progress along the way. Okay, so once you choose a therapist, I mean, is it just you just jump right in with session one, or how does that, what's the first thing you do? Once you choose a provider, there should be some kind of evaluation process. It might involve talking to the adults or caregivers to get a history of the concerns and a developmental history of the child. You know, what what were they like when they were an infant, in preschool, all the way through to where they are now. Uh, It should also ask about school, you know, interests, uh, broad aspects of the child's life, and, uh, and also ask about a variety of concerns, not just the presenting concerns, meaning if you think your child or teen might be depressed, the provider shouldn't only be asking questions about depression because they really should be assessing the whole picture, you know, the whole social, emotional, and academic perspective of the child. Give me an idea how this looks as a parent. Am I in the session with them or are they doing it alone? It, it depends on the therapist and these are things you might want to address with them beforehand, but mm-hmm. oftentimes the therapist might want to meet with you, the parent, uh, maybe alone without the child or maybe be everyone together. Uh, And then there probably is going to be uh, plenty of time set aside to meet with your child just one-on-one to kind of get a sense of, you know, who they are, how they've been doing. And, um, and, and hopefully, you know, parents don't take offense to this, but what you really want is for your child to uh, have a good fit with their therapist and, and build some trust one-on-one, which I know can be uh, concerning for parents. You know, you might want to be in the room with them, but really for the therapist to kind of get a know, uh, get to know them, uh, it's it's usually a good idea to let them have some alone time as well. Where does the doctor-patient confidentiality end when you're talking about a child? As a parent, what should I expect the therapist to relay to me about what went on in the room? What should I ask my of my child about what went on, and how much should I just? step back and and let it happen and trust the system. Right, right. No, if you can find an experienced therapist uh, and one who specializes in working with children and adolescents, they should have a good system in place Mm -hmm. that is one going to help you as the parent remain in the loop and informed, but also allow uh, for some amount of trust and respect to uh, right. the child client. And so in, a, in most states, there really is no confidentiality legal protection for the child. So you as the parent at any moment have the legal right to know everything that's going on in those sessions and view the file mm-hmm. that the therapist might have on your child. However, a lot of therapists will want to kind of work with you on that to develop a, a working trust with you, the parent, so that you don't hopefully feel the need to uh, overstep any boundaries because what some therapists will tell you is that uh, once once that trust or relationship is jeopardized between the therapist and the child can sometimes make the child really clam up and start to worry that, oh no, what if everything I say in therapy is going to be relayed to my parents and oh no, what if I get punished? For that, so right. it, it is one of those things that in in the world of therapy, this is um, one of those things that where uh, 
uh, it all, it all depends on a very delicate balance of all parties involved being respected and uh, treated appropriately so that we can work towards a common goal, which is getting your son or daughter the help they need. Okay, so we were talking about the the evaluation period and you know the therapist meeting with all the different parties. Um, what should we expect to come out of that evaluation? After the evaluation, the provider should synthesize all the information they have and present it to you, uh, such as uh, the diagnosis. And this is where they might be able to help you distinguish between what they're seeing is uh, maybe depression or an anxiety disorder. Uh, the next thing they should go over is treatment plan. You know, at the end of the evaluation, nobody should be confused about what the assessment means in terms of diagnosis or the recommendations for treatment treatment. Okay. So once you've gotten past that initial evaluation, you have your diagnosis and you have a treatment plan. That's when the actual treatment starts, right? So what does that look like um, for my child? What the actual sessions will look like uh, can really vary. It depends on the age of the child. It can also depend on what is being treated. Uh, sometimes it involves the parents more or less. Uh, and sessions are often 45 to 60 minutes. Uh, in the beginning, weekly treatment is pretty standard. And uh, you might go over uh, a review of how things have been over the past week. Uh, Evidence-based treatment often involves some homework in between sessions, which might be as simple as just tracking a mood or tracking thoughts. Uh, it could involve tracking some kinds of behavioral experiments. Ooh, like what are those? Give us some examples of behavioral experiments. Sure, if a teen has some social anxiety and they avoid sitting in the cafeteria or they avoid raising their hand on a Zoom call or in class, maybe part of the treatment involves doing that one time per day. Hmm. This is what's uh, called exposure therapy. Okay. Uh, finally, it could involve practicing a skill or talking about a specific topic and then often an assignment of homework. In our first episode, we talked a lot about uh, what to do if you aren't connecting with your therapist. But when it comes to kids, that's a little bit trickier, right? Like, what should you do if your child or teenager says they don't like therapy or they don't like their therapist? Mm -hmm. um, are they saying it just because they don't want to be there and they think it's, you know, a, a waste of their time? Or is there really a connection issue? Yeah, I would say have a conversation with your child or teenager and also the therapist. You, you do definitely want to find the right fit for your child uh, and for yourself, but really more so the child, if at all possible. Uh, so the provider may be talking with your teenager about things that are difficult to talk about, and, and maybe it involves some level of emotional work and investment. So therapy isn't necessarily going to be fun. Um, so you're not looking for your right. for your child or teen to have a best friend or to have the the best time <laughs> of their lives, um, but but fit still is important. Mm -hmm. That's why you do kind of want to dig a little bit deeper and try to have some some real conversations. And then if you talk to your provider, for instance, uh, your your therapist might say, "Oh, you know, I hear this sort of thing all the time. Uh, let's chat about it. You know, what concerns might you have? You know." So the therapist might be used to hearing from children and teens that say like ah not not uh it's not right. maybe my favorite time of the week yeah you're not, you're not cool man <laughs> yeah you're not cool man exactly yeah 
But but seriously, like, how long do you fight through it? You don't want to end too prematurely without even giving it a chance. But how long do you go before you make the decision, this isn't working, I need to move on? Sure. I always say give it at least uh, three or four sessions before you make any big drastic mm-hmm. decisions. And, you know, you might even try to work together with the therapist uh, just to create an atmosphere both at the at the therapist's office and even at home, uh, an atmosphere that, Hey, this is not about uh, punishing the child. Cause, cause especially right. young kids, it's very easy for them to kind of conflate the two, not realizing that the therapy is meant to help them. They think it's there because it's some form of uh, punishment. So anything you can do to kind of alleviate that is usually a good thing. But I think, yeah, once you try that and you're still finding, it's just not a good fit after three or four sessions, maybe see if the therapist would be willing to refer you maybe to a colleague and therapists have thick skin, right? They can I do. I like to think I do. Uh, (laughs) I like to think that we're, we're, uh, we're professionals and, uh, and that if someone wants to get like, for instance, a, a a second opinion, as it's sometimes called, then, uh, we really shouldn't take offense to it because after all you, uh, the, the consumer or client, uh, are the ones really who should be in charge of uh, who you get to see. Okay. So yeah, another concern we hear a lot about from people is that if you have a child who's undergoing treatment, um, but you also have other children in the family, how do you make sure that you're, you know, you're still supporting those other siblings? Um, Cause sometimes it feels like, you know, the child who's in treatment can sometimes be getting more attention, right, than the than the other children in your household. So how do you deal with that? Absolutely. This is going to be an issue uh, for some kids out there, especially if they have a brother or sister with a significant disorder, like something maybe uh, as severe as uh, being on the autism spectrum. Uh, Sometimes it can be brought into the context of the therapy and uh, working with parents to address some of the concerns regarding the sibling, Uh, talking to the parents about how to make sure to uh, devote some extra time to the sibling who isn't getting as much attention. And it maybe could also result in that sibling uh, benefiting from some treatment of their own to address uh, any anxieties or worries or concerns that they might have, perhaps feeling a little bit uh, lost in the shuffle. Uh, this way they, they get some uh, attention that they might otherwise be lacking. All right, Lane, thanks again for joining us. This has been super helpful to me and I, I hope a lot of our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, hopefully this short, healthy mind series has been helpful and, you know, giving everyone out there some insight into doing what you need to do to live your best life and improve the wellness of your mind. And if you have questions, shoot us an email at healthyupodcast at benefits at rtx.com. And if you want to find out more about how to improve your healthy mind, check out the new healthy mind space at rtxhealthyu.com. And until next time, here's to a healthy you. And that's it from the podcast made especially for the minds, bodies, and wallets of RTX employees across the country. That's a great idea. This, this is Healthy You.